0: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast.
1: Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast.
0: As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods.
1: Putting STEM into every classroom every day.
0: Well, welcome back to this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods, and we're looking for more ways for you to encourage your students to, to check out those avenues of science, technology, engineering, and math, that acronym of STEM. And with us today, we have Casey Bryda, and she's from the Philly area, so Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. Uh, she went to Binghamton College, and she, is a, she has a degree in integrative neuroscience, Now, if that sounds something interesting to your students, um, yeah, I think it definitely would sound interesting. Welcome to the show, Casey. Hi, Chris. And um, I got to say, what is integrative neuroscience? First off, before we do anything else.
1: Okay. So the integrative part of integrative neuroscience refers to how it's not just the biology of the brain that I study, but also the psychology of the brain. So how our mind works. So... Uh, some schools offer maybe just a strict biological neuroscience degree. Binghamton offered an integrative neuroscience degree. So my curriculum uh, emphasized the psychological part as much as the biological part of the mind.
0: Gotcha. So, So that's a career that obviously most kids in most classrooms probably don't grow up hearing about, you know.
1: Yeah, and I was one of those kids. We didn't really we didn't learn anything about neuroscience or psychology through my uh, K through 12 years.
0: Yeah, but so, so at some point, though, you got interested in the whole idea of, of STEM, and, and you're a recent college graduate, so, so STEM had already started to become a popular topic even when you are in, in K-12 and, and college, right?
1: Yeah, that, that's right. I, I remember one girl in my high school class talking about how she was doing research at Penn, and I remember thinking that's crazy. Like, how did she get that? How did she get this opportunity? I don't like, this girl must be a genius. And reflecting back on that, I was like, Oh, she just knew somebody and she wanted to see what it was about. And, and I kind of wish I had that opportunity as a high school student, but I think once you get that opportunity, you realize how abundant they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you can imagine that just by calling up a local university or or if you know somebody that does work at a university, just just to speak up and advocate for your students and say, mm-hmm. hey, do you have anything? Is there, do you know of anybody?
1: Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think almost any lab is always looking for a high school volunteer to help out. I mean, as a high school student, you would just be kind of doing chores, but it's a really cool opportunity to just witness the science that's being done in the lab, even if, you know. You're just doing chores. The chores help out a great deal and enable scientists who are very busy to get done work they would not normally be able to get done if they had to do these things themselves. And yeah. in my lab, the Davidson Lab at Chop, um, everybody is always very willing to talk to you, uh, no matter what your research background is about the research they do, and it's a great learning environment.
0: Yeah. So, so educators, again, mm-hmm. just um, find a local university. Check check with somebody you know. That'd be that'd be a great opportunity. Thank you, Casey, for that. Um, great idea. Again, we're talking with Casey Brida. Uh, you, now you've, you've finished your degree. Uh, you, you, you're doing some research now, like you said. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so what does it look like for a a kid coming out of college, um, into that, that research aspect? Is, Is it just like standing around in lab coats and, and, and working with fruit flies?
1: Um, some labs work with fruit flies. We do mouse models, um, which I unfortunately developed a rodent allergy from my time at Binghamton. I was also in Patricia DiLorenzo's lab, uh, during my undergraduate career and we worked with rats there and I have a very strong allergy to rodents now. So I'm not allowed to work with our mouse model at the Davidson lab. But, um, yeah, I think if you get involved in research as an undergraduate, um, it's really quite easy to get involved in research post-graduating. Um, even if you don't have necessarily have years of research experience as an undergraduate, but you still took those basic courses, Mm -hmm. the avenue to become a technician like myself is still out there and it's still available. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, my typical day in a lab, I work with, uh, developing vectors to deliver genes to our animal models. So, wow. uh, people say, Hey, I need this made. And then I say, okay, give me a couple of weeks and I'll have it for you. Wow. Um, and then I also work with the senior scientist who is working on ways to engineer these vectors to, so that they can better deliver the genes, uh, to their specific tissue target. Wow.
0: So That's, that's, that's complicated stuff. Yeah.
1: It, it is, it's a, it's complicated once you get a, a general background in it, it doesn't seem as complicated, but yeah, complicated, but cool.
0: Yeah. And, and, and that's a, that's another, another aspect that we can share with our students. You know, if, if, if they're thinking what kind of jobs are, are available out there, just, just helping them to maybe even just to see, maybe even taking a field trip to a local university to see a mm-hmm. research lab in action and seeing that, that these people that are just, just working with new ways to do things, new ways to, to, to help people. You know I mean? A lot of that job sounds like it, it's focused on let's try to help people in the future because of some sort of development today.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really what research is at its core. It's, you know, finding ways to help people in the future today.
0: Yeah. And, and kids love jobs and love that idea of, of helping of solving problems in the real world. Um, that, that's awesome. Casey. Um, now again, uh, we're talking with, uh, Casey Brida, uh, and, and you're, you're just out of college. You're, you're about, you're, you're embarking on that research. You're doing research. You hope to move into some, some other uh, research opportunities. What, what's, what's the goal of a person that, that s- does research? Um, what's, what's their ultimate job goal?
1: Well, I think it depends on the type of person you are yeah. there the, the Davidson lab has a really unique dynamic. Um, it's a huge lab, not many labs, have so many employees. So we have the principal investigator who is Beverly Davidson. Um, and she, she's the boss of the whole lab basically. And then we have senior scientists. We have, uh, like four or five senior scientists, which is unusual for a lab. Most labs don't employ that many senior scientists. Mm -hmm. Um, and senior scientists are people who have gotten their PhD. They've done their postdoctoral research. Um, and then they're at a point where they could become PIs, where they could just continue doing their research in the lab. Um, some people want to become PIs, which is hard. It's hard to become a PI to get the funding to run your own lab. But and other people
0: and, and PI is not private investigator. It's, it's
1: principal investigator. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah that's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but other people just love the lab and love the bench work. So yes. senior scientist is a great job for them, or maybe an industry job where they're not necessarily publishing, but they're still doing the same research. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. but the typical trajectory would be you get your masters, you get your PhD, you do your postdoctoral fellowship. And then after that it's where you kind of decide, do I want to stay in academia, which would be like at a university or hospital environment, or do you want to go into an industry like a, a pharmaceutical company and conduct research there?
0: Gotcha. Okay, cool. So that, that that can be really helpful for a lot of a lot of teachers that are that are Especially if you're probably elementary teacher, you're not thinking about those kind of those yeah. kind of things at all. But as an elementary teacher, you could say, Hey, today we're gonna pretend to be researchers. Mm-hmm. You just kind of use some of those terminology and, and phrases, you know, and, and and maybe when you break up into groups, you could say, Who's gonna be the senior scientist? And and who's gonna yeah. be the bench? Maybe that's a good idea. I'm thinking that's that's a that's a good idea. So um, <laughs> we're always looking for great ideas in elementary school, but more of a high schooler, you know, like you're in your a chemistry lab. Mm -hmm. Um, doing doing just your high school chemistry classes or physics or biology that's 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 precursor to what you're doing right now
1: yeah yeah it really is i i think my foundation what really got me interested in sciences was my high school chemistry class i absolutely loved chemistry in high school i had a great teacher who was really enthusiastic about it it really clicked with me and that's what got me interested in the sciences i don't I don't know if I did not take that high school chemistry class with that teacher, I would have had the same interest in the sciences that I mm-hmm. have today.
0: And, and, and I think that's, that's probably the story that everybody completely understands in education. If you have that one teacher that just, you know, they're excited, they come in and they, like you said, they, they inspired you to, to want to do something and, and, and that's gotta be rewarding for that, that chemistry teacher mm-hmm. to, to know that their students are, are doing awesome, incredible things like you are Casey. Do you, do you ever get a chance to, to go back to your school?
1: Um, I've gone back a couple of times, but I haven't been back in the past few years. My yeah. brother attended the same high school as me, so I would go back when yeah. he was still there. And then yep. he loved visiting his teachers, so I would tag along with him. But yeah. I think a handful of teachers that had a big impact on me have since left the school, so mm-hmm. I don't yeah. have the same draw. Back yeah, as I yeah. did that a few years that's ago.
0: Tricky. So, so why, yeah. do you, why do you think, let's, let's pull it back to this question too, because again, um, this is the STEM Everyday podcast, so I love asking questions, especially of someone like you who just came through, you know, the K-12 and then the, the college um, level. Uh, what, what gets kids interested in, in STEM so much? I know you talked about, you know, having a great teacher, um, but, but what, what are the things you think just really draw kids to those science, technology, engineering, and math things?
1: I think um, science can seem almost magical. And I remember as a kid, there was a science in the summer program at my library and I went to that and we, there was, it was a physics unit I did one summer Uh and physics to me, it was just magic the way that you touch a charged orb and your hair stands up on its ends on your head. Like that's incredible. And I think kids are drawn in from that, that wow factor. like, you know, you see these displays of things that seem impossible to you. And then you say, yeah, but it's not impossible. And this is how it works. And it's like you're giving kids the secret to magic. I think that's what drew me in. And I think that's what draws so many kids in.
0: That's It's impossible, but it's not impossible. Exactly. Yeah, draws those kids in. I noticed you didn't mention at all in that description worksheets or um, teachers standing in front and just lecturing, Casey.
1: Yeah, no, I mean as a kid, God, no, I, I think if my science in the summer experience had been somebody standing there with a PowerPoint slide and uh, Newton's equations on the board, I would have just been like, this is awful.
0: Yeah. Um, so, and, but again, like you said, it's, it's helping to create those wow factors, those, those connections, those such points you remember putting your hand on the, the charged orb and your hair sticking up. Those are, mm-hmm. those are those points that, that can change the trajectory of a kid's life to to being a, a, in the research lab right now, like you, Casey. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what do you think? Um, what do you think STEM education is going to look like in the future? Similar things or what, what would you like it to look like?
1: I think it would be cool to incorporate uh, more hands-on, more research-like things mm-hmm. in education because a lot of kids aren't exposed to research until undergraduate. And even then, not everyone is exposed to it. And I think just the ability to be able to ask a question and then figure out how to answer that question and get the answer to that question is really extremely rewarding. And you know, the questions get more complex, the more you learn. But I think starting at a younger age, elementary, middle school, high school, you can ask simpler questions, but the process doesn't change. And I think getting that basic research process in there at a younger age, could really draw more kids into the, the STEM areas. Yeah.
0: And so I, I should ask, you know, on behalf of you know all the science teachers and all the elementary teachers teaching the scientific method, do you, does, is the scientific method still part of, part of what you're doing today?
1: Of course, yeah. I mean, you don't think of it as a scientific method, but what you're doing is the scientific method. You, you recognize a problem, you think, well, okay, this is my problem but how can I answer this problem? You come with the, up with the hypothesis, you yeah. design an experiment to address that hypothesis, yeah. and then you see if that was correct, you get your answer, and yeah. maybe you don't get your answer, and oftentimes you don't get your answer, and it's back <laughs> to the drawing board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think of it as a scientific process. It's just what I do.
0: It's just what I do. That's, that, yeah. There you go. That's the t-shirt slogan of, of the research scientist. <laughs> the, the scientific method is not, not something that I – it's what I do
1: what I do. Yeah.
0: Um, other things, any, anything else? I, I know you're working on some pretty cool research right now. And of course, re- most research can be top secret. Um, mm-hmm. what's the coolest thing you've gotten to research so far that you can talk about? How about that question?
1: Um, well, I think I could probably talk kind of vaguely without getting into specifics. So yeah. I mentioned before I work with, uh, vectors that deliver genes. So we're talking about diseases that have a genetic basis. And my job is to figure out a way to deliver these, uh, correct genes to kind of fix the bad genes. And okay. we, use something we use a, a viral vector, um, which kind of sounds scary because like viruses are bad, but it's yeah. not pathogenic. So if you got injected with this, you wouldn't get sick. It's it's just not how this particular virus works. Yeah. Um, but We're working on ways to uh, engineer this virus, the capsid, that packages the DNA, the genes, that would correct these disease uh, characteristics. So we're working on ways to change the characteristics of this viral capsid. So say you're suffering from a disease that affects a particular region of the brain. We're trying to make sure that this virus targets exactly that region of the brain wow.
0: and not um, the other parts yeah.
1: and not the other parts exactly because we don't want this going to tissues that we don't want to target we want to get the maximum uh, benefits of our therapies and we don't want to have uh, potential side effects from it going to a place it's not supposed mm-hmm. to go that so is, that's kind of the i guess a very vague general overview of the work i do um, yeah. but i think it's really cool that we're doing this work
0: that is cool. And again, uh, any any kid who who dreams of, of of changing the world, of of saving people's lives, of, of things like that. I mean, that's that's what you get to do every every day, Casey. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, how how awesome that we can we can share those stories and, and look for look for people like Casey um, at your local universities or local research labs, whatever kind of businesses around, um, uh, or or hospitals, like you said as well. Those are those are other opportunities, places to look for. Um, people that can either come into your classroom or maybe Skype in with your classroom and, and just encourage your kids to, to say, Hey, the scientific method isn't just something we learn. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very cool. Um, one, one more question. I like to ask everybody, Casey, if you could have dinner with somebody from STEM past or present, uh, who would, you, who would you love to sit down and have, have a steak dinner with or, or whatever dinner you want, I guess.
1: Um, I think Oliver Sacks, he passed away a couple of years ago, but, um he was a neurologist who yeah. wrote books about his clinical experiences. Okay. And um you might know the movie Awakenings uh-huh. uh which Brett with Robin Williams uh and that was talking about news based on his book Awakenings and it was talking about uh the Parkinson's disease patients and how he kind of realized what was going on with them. Um and he just has all like these really great clinical stories and he humanizes the sciences, but he also still has this obvious scientific, uh, curiosity and perspective that I can really relate with. So his work really, his literary work really focuses on finding the, the connection between the humanity and the sciences and
0: yeah. That, that connection really between connection. that connection between humanity and science is is, is so important and, and a great lesson for our kids too to to not just think of science as this sterile environment. But Yeah. And and again, right back to what we were just talking about. I mean, that idea of research and, and helping people and saving people's lives is 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 really that, that humanity part of of science and research. Awesome. Well, Casey, it's been great chatting with you today. Um, all, all the best to you as, as you keep going in your research. Uh, Casey's actually hoping to, to start a podcast soon in the future. Um, so good luck with that and uh, and all your other endeavors, Casey. Thank you. And um, if you want to connect with Casey, uh, you can find Casey Bryda um, both in the show notes of this podcast, and, and you can search for her uh, on Facebook, um, her last name, B-R-I-D-A, uh, K-A-S-E-Y. Uh, you can find Casey Bryda. And thanks for joining us uh, today. It was, it was a lot of fun hearing all about what research is and, and really how we can connect that to the kids in the classroom. So I really appreciate what you had to say today.
1: Thanks, Chris. It's been fun.
0: And um, as always, thanks for listening to this episode of STEM Everyday Podcast. Um, you can subscribe to it on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, leave a review and um, thanks for joining us. You can also connect with me on Twitter at DailySTEM and share whatever ideas you want with me. And uh, we'll talk to you again next time.
1: You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit remarkablechatter.com.